We're looking at Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, the events and the sermon of Peter. And uh, these are the last words in verse 39. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 39 of Acts chapter 2. I often make a distinction between God's offer and God's promise. I think it's important and helpful distinction. So my first point is God makes an offer of salvation to every sinner. I'm, I'm doing it all the time. I'm offering God's salvation to all of you who will hear me. I can stand in solidarity with you. I can say, if we, me too, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, mine too, and cleanse us, me too, from all unrighteousness. You're hearing a magnificent offer that God is making there of pardon and cleansing. And he makes it to all men. Now that offer is not unconditional. It is linked to a divine requirement that we have to do something. We have to acknowledge and confess our sins. Men and women must repent of how they have ignored God for so long and given in to the lordship of unbelief over their lives. They have forgotten their creator in the days of their youth. And they've gone into early manhood and manhood and middle age and old age and deliberately they are putting God out of their thoughts. And they must turn away from that whole mentality. That's what repentance is. It is a change of attitude, a change of thinking, a change of direction. They must confess their sins and rest all their hope of reconciliation with God and um, pardon and, and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, in who he is and, and what he's done for us. Uh, and unless they do that, they're going to go on. They're on a broad road, Jesus says. And like every road, it goes somewhere, and every road goes to one place or the other. And Jesus, the Lord of eternity, sees. He sees the future of a road, a straight road, a long straight road like some of those you have in Australia. It just disappears in the heat haze and the dust, and you can't see the end. Jesus can see the end the end of the broad road. And he tells us that it's destruction. And people are on the road and they're talking to one another and the wife is saying, shall we leave now? Can't we find a service station? That looks interesting. Can't we go there? And they slow down and they talk and they discuss it, but they keep going. And they keep going. They're on the broad road. And it ends suddenly in a precipice. And over the precipice there is the bottomless pit and people on the broad road are going to destruction. Everyone is going to be destroyed, Jesus says. And so we are told to get off the broad road. There, that there are places you can go, narrow paths, worth finding, and going off. This narrow path that leads to glory. And Jesus is that way. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The offer is, then you will be saved. 
So the offer is not just, well, take it or leave it. It is not terse. It is not clinical. It is not like the government telling us in a manila-bound envelope that you've got to pay these taxes, and if you don't, you'll be fined, and the amount will go up, and you might go to prison for not paying your taxes. The, the, the command of God is not a bare, terse word like that. He's a God of mercy. He's a God who became incarnate in Jesus Christ. And as God in Christ made that offer to men and women, he did it weeping. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You stoned the prophets. You destroyed and killed those that God sent to you. I would have stretched my wings over you and protected you from being destroyed, but, but you would not. And he cried. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his ways and live. Turn, turn, God says to us. So God's servants preach the same message, and they preach it in the same spirit. Paul says, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore God's ambassadors, as though God was beseeching you through us. We beseech you, be reconciled to God. For God made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. So here was the spokesman of an imploring God. Here was the spokesman of a beseeching God. And he beseeched men and women as he offered to them salvation in Jesus Christ. You see here in our passage, Luke is coming to the climax of Peter's message. He, we told he couldn't stop preaching. We've got the barest summary here. And Luke tells us, with many other words and many other arguments, he spoke to the men and women then. I wonder how long he spoke for to them. And he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 40, he arraigned before them all the wonderful blessings that would be theirs if they trusted in Christ. He pleaded with them to save themselves from the way they had corrupted the image of God. The silencing of the voice of their conscience that says, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't think like that. And Peter said to them, don't bring out your excuses now for not listening to me. Repent today. Turn to Christ today. Believe on him now. And he made a free offer to them all that they would be pardoned for all their sins. They'd crucified the Lord of glory. They would answer to God for what they'd done to his own son. And yet he could offer them forgiveness of sins. Adoption into the family of God. They would become heirs of God. Joint heirs with Jesus. All in the terms of the everlasting covenant of God, they would be inheritors of a blessing that would never fade away. They would be in union with Christ. So, uh, Peter offers them this salvation. 
this full and free salvation and he's urging them to repent and he's pleading with them to save themselves. And uh, this, this offer of salvation, you know it's made to everyone without exception. I can sit next to someone on a plane. I don't know anything about his past. I don't know what a debauched life he has led. How hard, how cynical he has been. What privileges he has rejected and kicked in the teeth I know I have good news for him. However bad he's been, I have a saviour for him. I have a teacher who will instruct him in how he should live. I I have a, a lamb whose blood can cleanse him from all the wretchedness of his life. I have a king who will watch over him and lead him and guide him. I have all that for him. I can stand on the promenade in an open air meeting in August and I can stand next to a man and I can hear fine preaching. And I know I have good things to say to this bystander. And I can say to him, what did you think of that message? And I can underline what's being said. And I can say, God's providence has brought you here to hear this message. There's life for you. There's forgiveness. There's mercy for you and your sins. Here is salvation. You... You can know this Savior for yourself. You know, the only time we can guarantee is is now, this moment. We don't know what is going to happen this afternoon or this week. We can't plan for the future. Now is the appointed time. Now is the day of salvation for this offer to be considered and responded to. That's the offer. And then... God makes a promise of salvation to all who believe. I have no guarantees to offer to the people of Aberystwyth that all is well between them and God. And all will be well forever. That's not the message of uh, Christianity. It might be the message of BBC with its thoughts for the day and its occasional brief services that... uh, The promises that God makes to his people who repent and trust him are taken and they are promiscuously handed out to the population of the British Isles, to members of every religion and following every creed or non-creed. They've stolen our inheritance and they've given it to those who have no time and no love for the one who died for our sins. It's no good news For the wicked in scripture. There's no peace for them. Speakers can dream that we will all get to heaven. But if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel. Than that which we find in the Bible. Let him be accursed. Any so called gospel that promises eternal life. Without the love of Jesus in your heart. Without repentance for your sin is uh, speaking a message from the pit and not a message from the God of heaven. The promise, and you will be saved, is dependent on believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.16 speaks of those whoever believes in Jesus Christ will not perish, but have everlasting life. The promise that... You will have rest for your souls, an easy yoke, a light burden. It's made to those who come 
to him for that rest and for that deliverance. So God's promise of eternal life and God's promise of pardon and the wonderful rest is made to people who are very serious about knowing God for themselves through Jesus Christ, who are sorry that they've hurt him and grieved him, have confessed their sins to him and daily go to him and all their hopes of eternal life are in what he did. His beautiful life, his atoning death, his resurrection, his intercession for us at God's right hand. That's all our hope. And when we stand before him, we'll say, mercy, mercy, mercy from you, living God. God made our Lord sin for us, the one who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's our hope. God says, you only have I loved from all the nations of the earth. You remember, not everyone in Egypt was promised life when the avenger passed over the land in the last plague. Not everyone was promised life. There were things they had to do. They had to kill a goat or a lamb, and they had to splash its blood on the lintel and the doorposts. And the avenger, when he saw the blood on the house, on the family that resided in that house, he passed by. Those only were redeemed where there was the shedding of blood. Now, nothing has changed. And the promise God makes out of those whom the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has cleansed from all sin. That's why he came. That's why God sent him into the world. That's why he died the atrocious death of the cross, loving us, hanging us there by the nails through his hands until the full price was paid for our atonement. That's our only hope, our only plea. And so if your faith is in him, if, if it's tiny faith, if it's like a dot on a page, if it's like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, if it's mustard seed faith, if it's in Him, if you lodge it, if you plant it in the wounded side of Christ, oh, it will grow. It will be mighty. It will take you to heaven. Nothing will separate you from the love of God if your trust is in His Son. He will love you as he loves his son. Shall trouble or hardship or nakedness or famine or peril or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all the, these things we are more than conquerors through his love. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ. Our Lord, is he your Lord? Then I guarantee nothing will separate you from his love that he's brought you here this morning to be reassured again that though you're a poor sinner and have not lived as you should have lived, yet his blood will cleanse you. His blood will cover you and nothing will separate you from his love. And so that's the promise that we make to his people. The offer 
to all the world of a Savior, the promise that we make to his people. And then we see that the third thing I want you to see is that God's promise is made to those whom God has called. You see, Peter says in our text in verse 39, the promise is for all whom the Lord our God shall call. For you, your children, those who are far off, all whom the Lord your God will call. Well, what sort of call is this? What sort of divine summons? Well, there was obviously, firstly, a general call that uh, Peter addressed to all of Jerusalem, all who would come, all who were saying, there's something going on in the temple, come quickly, we'll miss it. There's such a crowd, there are thousands of there, come, there, there's somebody speaking. And they came, and they came, and they kept coming, and Peter then growing with confidence and strength from God, uh, preached to them. A general call he made to them all. The human symbol of a general call is the town crier in his three-cornered hat and the bell in his hand and his red and ermine coat. And he stands in the town square and he rings and rings his bell until there is some silence. And then he makes an announcement um, he's advertising something. He's telling them of sports day. He's telling them of the carnival that's to come. And he speaks to all who will listen to him. And Peter was a town crier. There was a general call. He was saying, save yourselves from this untoward, this crooked generation. And he addressed everybody. They were all called upon. Called upon to respond. Called upon to repent called upon to receive the Holy Spirit. And we call this preaching, this uh, promiscuous preaching to everyone, we call it the external calling, the general call of God. And many others called, we are told. And there is a genuine invitation, there is a sincere invitation God sends out his servants into the world to make that call to all men and women. And it appears in many forms, and it is centered on the great triumph of Jesus Christ. What he did by dying, what he does, does now by rising from the dead. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And Jesus made a call. Similar, general call. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, he said. Or in the book of Revelation, you know, the great climax. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. That's one of the meanings of a calling from God. It, it's an invitation of God. Have you heard it? Have you heard an invitation? That that comes from God? That he's speaking to you and he's saying, come. He is saying to you, reason with me about your red crimson sins. But you know, for many people in Jerusalem, it was external. It was outward. It was out there coming to the outside of their bodies. They touched the eardrum. 
and they heard. And they remained unaffected in their minds and in their affections. They heard everything, and yet they heard with the ears of faith nothing. They were unable to hear with their souls. There's this passage in the scripture, and it says, They have ears, but they do not hear. Judas heard the Sermon on the Mount. They have eyes, but they do not see. The Pharisees saw Lazarus risen from the dead. And perceive the implications of that for them. They have hearts, but they don't understand. You go back to the Garden of Eden, the great warning. All the trees, oh, help yourself, just, just one tree. Don't touch that. The test. Focused on a tree. Lovely to look at. Delightful to taste. Don't, don't touch. Who rules your conscience now? Who tells you how we should live? Is it God? And he prescribes. He says, no, no. Yes, 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 yes. And you know our first parents, our federal head, how we defied God. And they took from the tree and they ate it. And they began inescapably to die. There was a ratchet put on time in their lives and it moved in one way and one way only. And there was no reverse now. They were going to die. And so by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. That's why we die. For all have sinned. This is the condition. We are dying people today. Our souls, our hearts are dead in their trespasses and sins. I don't go to Thrambaden Road Cemetery, park at the little pedestrian crossing and walk down the aisle to the uh, th th that lane through the trees to the, uh, the, the roundabout at the bottom where hearses travel and then go out into the graveyard and start to speak. They cannot hear. They cannot see. They cannot understand. They're dead. It is utterly fruitless. There's no response whatsoever to my preaching to the dead. And without the work of God in your heart and life, it would be just as impossible for me to gain the response. He must work. He must touch you. He must quicken you. He must give you spiritual life. He must make your conscience come alive. He must warm your affections. He must move you so that you... Listen with the ears of your understanding. And you receive with your heart the word of God. And so it's not enough to be a town crier. The, the image for this call that produces a result. This effectual call. This saving call of God. The image of that is the herald that the emperor sends. 
And he comes and trumpets blow and soldiers are around him. And he says, there will be a census. And it will be held on this date. And everyone must go to the place in which they were born to register. And you know that if you don't listen to the emperor, you will have soldiers knocking on your door and you will be thrown into prison or worst, and you go. And so Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem to register the place of his birth. The effectual call produces an effect in our lives. And so um, it happened to 3,000 men as they heard Peter preaching. Extraordinary. When Paul preached in Philippi and he preached to all the women, one woman, just one single woman, her name was Lydia, and her heart was opened, and she received the things that Peter spoke. The call was effectual just to one woman, but at Pentecost, 3,000 men responded to you. I've told you of my father's twin brother, Uncle Bryn, how Uncle Bryn was a pastor in um, Barnstable. His first church. And uh, they had a baby. And the baby wasn't well. But he had a committee meeting in Bristol. And Uncle Bryn got on the train at Barnstable. And he went up to Temple Mead Station in Bristol. And uh, he got off uh, that day. And he was walking along the platform. And the loudspeakers were speaking of trains pulling in from Birmingham. Pulling in from Cardiff pulling in from London, leaving for Manchester, leaving for Scotland. And he was oblivious to it all. It had nothing to do with him. And then an announcement came. And it said, will the Reverend Bryn Thomas from Barnstable go to the station master's office? And he heard it. And he looked around for the sign, the station master's office, and he inquired from a porter. And he went and he found the place and he knocked and he went in. And he was told that... Uh, his baby was desperately ill, and he should take the first train back to Barnstable. And by the time he got home to Auntie Josie, he discovered that the baby had died. The cousin I never knew. He heard the calls for trains arriving and departing. And he heard them and heard nothing but he heard a call which was for him an effectual call and the effect was he never forgot that day and the loss of a child on that day so this is what Paul is speaking of in our text here. He's speaking of a call that is more than just me urging everybody. A general call. Sincere from heaven. But, oh, another call. Which is a, a call and a promise. Which is received and transforms us. What a reality, the effectual call. Do, I wonder, do, are you understanding the implications of this for, for preachers? For those who witness to other people about Jesus Christ? Uh, last Sunday morning, um, 
the, uh, the Keith had asked that projected on the wall should be two or three photographs of Pocot where um, Keith had gone nobody goes there they're all embarrassed in Nairobi about the rural areas the desert areas and the primitive people that can hardly read and are half naked Keith goes there two, three, four times a year he goes there and he showed his photographs a congregation of a hundred people sitting in the shade of a tree and he's standing before them with a Bible and he's preaching to them he's preaching the gospel and he's making a general call but he's crying to God that it will be effectual for some for as many as God has chosen it will have an an effect that they'll say he spoke just to me it happened to you didn't it when you came with your friends to church one Sunday and uh, the preacher was preaching and he seemed to direct his words just to you and you knew you had to believe on Jesus Christ and when you went outside afterwards your girlfriends they were talking about school tomorrow and they were speaking about uh, did you know this and did you know that and they had not been touched they'd had the general call but they'd not had that saving call that effectual call You know, uh, there's a, a great statue in the town. There's just one great statue in the town. And that statue is of the first principal of the university. He was a wonderful man, Thomas Charles Edwards. He was the great-grandson of Thomas Charles. And he, as a student, preached to the navvies as they built the railway to Aberystwyth and down to Pembrokeshire. And he loved the Lord. And he left the principalship of the university here to go to Bala to train other men for the ministry That's, that, you can see how central his life was now you know where his statue is it's just opposite the pier and there um, to the right with your back to the sea he's standing there what does he have in his hand he has a bible in his hand And what is he doing? He's preaching to the world. That's the statue. That's why it's so great. Because he is standing there with a Bible and he's preaching. The first principle of the university is carved in bronze holding a Bible. Now there's an issue at the university at the present time, isn't there? About Bibles. And forcing Bibles on students. But Ah, here's the first principle, and he knows. He knows where wisdom is to be found, and where truth is to be found, and life and salvation and deliverance. It's in the scriptures, and he's preaching it as he preached it all his life. He's making a general call, and he, like us all, is longing that it should be a specific call, a personal call, an effectual call. Come now, let us reason together. The Lord is saying, to us so when we stand before men we don't use the enticing words of men's wisdom we don't create atmosphere with candles 
or with music or with tear-jerking stories or psychological trickery, pressurizing, brainwashing in order to create an ethos in which men might be forced to make a decision. We despise all of that. What Peter had, we have. Everything Peter had, we have today. We have the word, we have the inward witness, we have the paraclete, we have the courage of our convictions. We have uh, what the apostles had, and they turned the world upside down. And so then the millions of preachers all over the world who are preaching the word of God today, that's, that's what they have. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are spiritual weapons and they are mighty through God. And God blesses so that the general call becomes effectual. For as many as God is pleased to give eternal life to. So there is the offer. And there is the promise. And the promise is tied to the effectual call. And when Peter in our text talked about the promise, they knew what he was talking about because he talked about it earlier in the passage, uh, in verse 33. Jesus Christ has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. That's what he says. The risen Christ said, Acts 1-4, Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you heard me speak about. Oh, he tells them at the very end of Luke's Gospel, I'm going to send you what my Father promised. And the Jewish audience listening would think of a wonderful promise that God had made to Abraham, that all the nations of the world would be blessed one day by someone who would be his seed would be in the line of, uh, of Abraham and we're told in Galatians 3.14 he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we may receive the promise of the Holy Spirit so the nations of the world would be blessed by Jesus Christ pouring out his spirit on Wales. And that's why we're here this morning. Because the spirit homed in on us one day and drew us to read a book and drew us to meet Christian friends who, and drew us to respond to their invitation. And we went to a meeting and we heard the gospel. God works in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. And by the gift of the Holy Spirit, we become the children of Abraham. And so um, he, he talks about the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then he talks to the children. And uh, many of them would stand there. They knew Jesus. They wept over Jesus. Their mothers had brought them as little children to ask Jesus to bless them. The stern disciples drove them back. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come to me. 
Let them trust in the Savior when their hearts are tender. He doesn't say they have to wait until they're 18. He doesn't say that at all. You're not a second-class follower of Jesus with second-class privileges until you're 18. When you're young, give your heart to Jesus. When you're young, repent of your sins and believe in the Savior and he will receive you the promises to all, to children who repent and believe. He's saying to the hundreds of children in the congregation that they only had to rest in Christ to be saved. Let not a Jewish parent think, well, I've been baptized, I'm going to have my child baptized too. Let them not think like that. The children, they need to come. They need to come themselves and put their trust in the Redeemer. Babies can't do that. And we are told that all those who repented and trusted in Jesus Christ continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Babies don't do that. Only people who are convicted and have a personal, inward, effectual call and trust in the Redeemer. Only those go on and progress in those ways. And Peter then says, and not only to you and to your children, but to those that are far off. Far off. Oh, we're far off, aren't we? Two thousand years have passed. Far off. Five thousand miles away, we are far off. And uh, Peter is envisaging then what the command of the Lord in the Great Commission was going to be fulfilled, go into all the world, go to the uttermost ends of the earth with the gospel, and he sees those afar off will be called also by God to embrace his son. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to be circumcised any longer. You have to trust in the Redeemer. Well then, here we are. You've heard the gospel again. You've heard the general call. Oh, I hope you have a, a personal call from God. I hope you go just as you are and waiting not to rid your soul of one dark blot but that you go to him who can cleanse our souls from every spot and you say here I am Lord you've spoken to me this morning and I come just as I am and I put my trust in you I turn from my sin and you say it in your way with your words in a secret place and you talk to the Lord and it's a dialogue he's spoken to you in the preaching of the word and now you respond to him by personal trust and faith in this great redeemer and he promises you then everlasting life not perishing he promises to cleanse you he promises an easy yoke he promises you these great things. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for Peter's courage in this first sermon he preached in the New Covenant. Thank you for his boldness and clarity. Thank you that he could say that the promises to you and the promises to your children and the promises to those far off 
who repent of their sins and believe that they have everlasting life. Thank you that it's reached us. And oh, we pray, loving God, that you won't let these words fall to the ground, that they'll not be merely an external word, but an inward saving word. May it be so. Take glory and give it to Jesus Christ in adding new soldiers to his army and new disciples to his school. Please bless your word to that end now. We ask it in the Saviour's name. Amen.